0: What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away into being executed? You have a prepaid call from... William A. Alpera. <laughs> An inmate at the California State Prison. San Quentin. this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different, complete guy, which is the guy who walked the walkways of San to death row without a gang, without a group of people around me. It was just...
1: Soon after you went into to be on death row, Welcome to Death Row Diaries. I am Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nobiro. And we have a really interesting case today of H.H. H. Holmes. And I've always found this really interesting because he built this, like, fun house for himself that facilitated murder. Uh, at least that's the story anyway. We'll get into it. Uh, first, we want to... Thank you guys for listening. First of all, make sure and tell a friend about the show. That really helps us out. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Death Row Diaries. And now, coming this week, we have our Patreon page finally set up. Bill, you were dropping the ball on that. That's okay. I went ahead and picked up the slack for you. And we can... Uh... <laughs> We uh
0: use escape. there was a freaking robbery and freaking South Missouri. I Bill.
1: <laughs> And that that will give you guys if you want to support the show, you'll make sure and get, you know, bonus content that's not available on the regular podcast uh stuff that we do off the mainstream you know it's this is a this is just for paying subscribers and so i think you guys will get a kick out of that so check out the patreon page instagram facebook and send us listener questions if you have any and we have one here so jerry from santa monica sent a question in and he says matt i read that hh H. holmes might be Jack the Ripper. I read that on Reddit, and he thinks he's pretty sure about it. So this kind of ties into our case today. What do you think, Bill? That's a very good question, because there is a
0: lot of theories about this guy, H.H. Holmes, whose real name is Herman Webster Mudgett. It doesn't sound like a very famous name, but that's what this guy was. He changed his name later. He actually had a number of different known aliases. Uh, Alexander Bond. Uh, he was known as Dr. Henry Howard Holmes, which is where H. H. Holmes came from. So yeah, this theory about him being Jack the Ripper really came from his great-great-grandson. And I actually watched a documentary on this you know thanks to Saint Quentin Prison television they gave us this whole you know rundown by story TV and this guy really is pushing the issue that his great great grandfather HH Holmes was Jack the Ripper and so let's let's take a look at that they operated uh, around the same time Jack the Ripper made his debut in 1888 and he was around between 1888 and 1889. And he disappears around the same time, around 1891-ish, 82-ish, you have the appearance of this character, Herman Webster Mudgett, And his great-great-grandson, who also says that he is related to Meghan Markle, who is part of the royal family, you know, he's, he's also a lawyer, so he pushes his issue, and he got this cable television to do a documentary on his, his great-great-grandfather that he is Jack the Ripper. Okay, so, you know, I, I love drama. I love to – I wish I could sit here and give you guys a great story about this just to make it fly even more. But look, here's the truth. The truth is that H H Holmes is not Jack the Ripper. Yes, I understand that there was in one of the boat manifestos in each homes that left London, England around this time and went into the United States. That's how this whole thing begins to filter that this guy is Jack the Ripper. Okay, why he's not Jack the Ripper? It's real simple. Their motives are completely different. Their MOs, completely different their signature, completely different, and they're two different animals. So, H.H. Holmes was a murderer, but he killed for gain. He killed to stop people from knowing about him. He stopped for motives like robbery, insurance fraud. He always had a motive. Yes, he killed many people, but Jack the Ripper killed only sex workers. And they're all women. He killed for only the only reasons that serial killers kill. For gratification. Psychological. Sexual. And as I explained in the last episode, the Ripper was impotent. The reason he stabbed the genitalia, he stabbed these women so many times, he mutilated the face, all these mutilations of the organs, was because out of his impotent he used the instrument the knife the slashing instrument as a substitute for his penis he was impotent H.H. holmes was a ladies man a good-looking man and, and by the way he actually was a surgeon he went to the university of michigan where he graduated he was a doctor Dr. ripper was not no by the way max dna evidence in 2019 claims that Jack the Ripper was actually Aaron Kaminsky, a Polish barber. And we have this evidence because a scarf that was found during the time recently did DNA evidence and it came positive to one of the relatives of Kaminsky. However, no one knows if that scarf actually belonged to the victim. i will be right back. So, this evidence that they have that the DNA match Kaminsky is very iffy because she was a sex worker the, the, the victim who the scarf came from was a sex worker she had a lot of contact with different men the DNA cannot prove when it was you know, deposited on the scarf so it's very hard there's a lot of big question marks there but as I mentioned before Jack the Ripper was not a barber. Jack the Ripper was either a cop or he was one of the vigilance committee members who knew where the committee would be searching, where would they be, because at that time they had many people looking on the streets, many men looking for Jack the Ripper, and many... We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Gangs, he knew where they would be and he struck in places they were not. gosh my theory that he's a police officer or one of the vigilance committee members. Uh, that's where that comes from. Um, look, it, I understand the, the intrigue in this, but H. Holmes is not Jack the Ripper. And a little bit of, to add more feel to it, of course, linguists, uh, they examined that Dear Boss letter thoroughly, and linguist experts believe that it was written by an American. So that, again, fuels that it could
1: have been H. Holmes. It was not. A quick side note, I'm curious, if you had a, a great-grandfather who was Jack the Ripper, you thought was Jack the Ripper, would you advocate for that or keep it kind of private? Like, I know a lot of people, their families have owned slaves, and that's a very complicated subject, but is that something you would go out of your way to want known? Yeah, it's a good question, and of course, because of the slaves,
0: that's a- very dark stain on America's, you know, face and all that stuff. No no one to admit that. Actually most people hide it. We see, Jack the Ripper, serial killers, there's a particular intrigue behind that. A lot of people love to hear this stuff. And look, it's a financial situation. Yeah. This lawyer, the grand the great grand grandson of, of H. Holmes, his name is Jeff Mudgett, yeah, he still sold the story because it, it, it made him money. I mean it's got a a TV show, so it's, it's about the whole, you know, social media thing, it gets an interest, you wrote a, you know, write a book about it, all these things play out of that, if you wrote a book about your grandparents being slave owners, it's probably not going to do very well, so I can see the angle, would I do it, you know, I don't think I would, now, I don't know, if I was desperate, and needed money, possibly, anybody would have, but it feels a story, um, and, you know, so
1: the answer is I don't know. I, I have to cross that bridge when I come across <laughs> it. If you find out my great great grandfather was a freaking serial killer, please let me know. Well, there are a lot of them in Colombia, but you know, I think that you touched on what—that's <laughs> what I was getting at—was the financial thing. So I think we all understand what's going on there. Sure. So, H. H. Holmes, we're going to get into this guy's life. But right off the bat, you, I could tell when you're, you're a little excited about something. And this guy has, you know, supposedly nine victims that he's suspected of killing. But you, you wanted to let me know that you don't think this guy's a serial killer. And he's referred to as a serial killer just ubiquitously. So what's your, what's your hang up here? Well,
0: And this story is really sold because an an account by an author by the name of Harold Shifter. And he wrote a book called Depraved, a shocking true story of America's first serial killer. And it's about H.H. Holmes. And from there, a lot of books have been written about this guy, the torture doctor. The Devil in the White City, the Monster of Sixty-third Street. Look, all these things are great reads, and they come off as nonfiction. They are absolutely false. He was not a serial killer to answer your question, because serial killers have a particular. Um, to define a serial killer is a person that kills three or more people. That person has to do it for sexual gratification or for psychological gratification. There is a tip to this guy. H. H. Holmes killed for financial gain, robbery, insurance. He killed for motives that are very logical. The person too much. The person was gonna go to the police department on him. So he kills them. That's why we don't call we don't call people like Stalin or Hitler or A lot of these people, serial killers, are mass murderers because there is no psychological or sexual gratification with the act. With this guy, it was all about finances and very strangely enough, his great-great-grandson, Jeff Pitch, who's a lawyer, is basically doing the same thing. He's regurgitating the story and it sells books, it sells good TV, it sells true crime episodes, but it's absolutely false. H. H. Holmes, and this is why I'm excited about it, because I like to prove people wrong if you haven't guessed that by now. Wasn't that a serial killer, ladies and gentlemen? He was a killer, a very prolific killer, but he was also very intelligent. As I mentioned, he, graduated, he went to the University of Vermont, he graduated from the University of Michigan, he actually graduated from high school at 16, and he was already teaching at age 17. Very intelligent guy. And from here, the monster serial killer evolved because this guy's intelligent, he's charming, he's good-looking. He's everything that people want to believe about serial killers. But he's not. He
1: just is not a serial killer. So I might be a little confused here, and we're going to get into his life right now, but you're saying that he's not getting any like sexual or emotional gratification out of these murders it's just uh, for his financial gain but I- I'm seeing that he would kind of torture animals he you know worked in a surgical facility and got really intimate with cadavers and stuff but does that make you kind of think that maybe maybe there is some gratification involved or no sure
0: Not true there is no proof that he ever was abused that he ever tortured animals yes he worked in the autonomy and i pronounce that correctly but during his work at the university of of, uh, of michigan in the medicine and surgery uh surgery departments he worked with the chief instructor um And their whole deal was to deal with cadavers. But see, even at this point where he is barely an 18, 19-year-old kid, he's learning that there is money in cadavers. There is money in murder. He is selling cadavers to different departments of universities. He has the connections in his uh, professor, uh, whose name is William James Hurtman, is actually his connection. He is the guy who is teaching them. Look, we rob graves, we take the cadavers, and we sell them to different departments of and universities. They and pay good money, $200 for a cadaver. This is 1894, 1895. $200 is a lot of money in those days. So immediately he's being taught that business is business. Cadavers, skeletons... Bones sell. And there's a lot of universities and schools of higher learning that will buy them, no questions asked. That's why this whole myth about him living with cadavers and all stuff, yes, he killed people, he used the cadavers, he sold them, but it
1: was financial gain. That's all it was for right him. Yeah, that's not surprising because that whole, you know, that group of people, coroners, medical examiners, morticians, that is still so rife and you know it's easily uh facilitates corruption there's a book called the cadaver king and the country dentist by rodley balco which i'd highly recommend uh just a really weird world of people not saying they're all bad or anything but it's still just very very corrupt uh so so that makes sense so where should we start with this guy's life you know this is a long time ago if anyone listening doesn't know of H.H. H. Holmes. He's born in 1861 in uh, New Hampshire. He finds his way down to Philadelphia where as we touched on, he's he's doing these, these jobs and I guess he's kind of transient, for lack of a better word, at a lot of these jobs. In fact, I was studying my vocabulary and I'd say he's peripatetic. So, oh, wow. Yeah, right? So he's moving around a lot. What are you looking at here? Like, where do we really start to see who this guy is? Well, I think the, the biggest thing we should look at is that he is,
0: for lack of a better term, an incredible narcissist from the very beginning. It allows him to look at people because he's been dealing with cadavers. He's been dealing with all these body parts. as just that. Even people are just body parts for him. They are a way of money. And you have to be very narcissistic to be able to do this. You kind of, you put yourself on, your needs so high on, on the scale of what is needed that people become objects. And he does that very well. As I mentioned, he graduated from high school at the Phillips Exeter Academy. I hope I pronounced that correctly. But he's very intelligent. At 60, he graduates. He's got a job as a teacher already at 17. And he marries right away. He marries a, a young woman. And he is transient only because of scams. He doesn't spend much time anywhere because they start catching on to what he's doing. He begins, first and foremost, as I mentioned, he sells cadavers. And he sells body parts. And then he starts running all these scams in the Philadelphia area, in the New Hampshire area. And the, the authorities know about him. They know exactly who he is. Uh, his scams are small at first. He takes out insurance policies on buildings, he burns them. He takes out insurance policies on items, he discards them. Um, he takes things on credit. He, he'll come up with an elaborate scheme that he is the inventor of a glass bending uh, venture. And he gets all these creditors to come in and these investors to put money into it. And then he skips town. He's gone. So everything for this guy is about money. He's a scam. You know, he's very well dressed, extremely charming, good looking man, big mustache, wears these fancy suits and hats. And women go gaga over this guy. So much so that he leaves his wife very early on and he shacks up with another woman. And that's where his problems really start to begin. And they start when he moves to Chicago, and by then, he changes his name from Mudgett to Dr. Henry Howard Holmes. He does so to avoid capture and scams because they're looking for him. In 1891, he gets together with a woman named Julia, and she has a daughter named Pearls, and their last name is Smythe. And they disappear. Christmas Eve and he claims that the woman died in abortion and the child disappears but
1: later on in the cellar of his home they find a partial skeleton of a child and we can draw conclusions there of who that child is so if I got you right here he kills this child but not for the reasons we think of with these guys this is part of a plot to enrich himself correct
0: he, he kills the child to hide the murder of her mother and, and that's what this guy does he has reasons logical reasons you know we we're horrified for what he does because he's a monster but he's doing it for logical reasons or at least reason that we can put under the the category of logical. He kills the child to cover up the mother's death. And and so he moves on. And already, no one knows how many people this guy killed. Some say as many as 200. Some say only 27. Some say nine. But he immediately begins to move forward. And he is working at a pharmacy so much so that he gives himself a license for it. It does very well Number of women good-looking women working around them uh, with him and they begin to suddenly disappear Emmeline secret she worked with Holmes and she suddenly disappears And his life just continues to move like this he gets he buys a beautiful safe that he puts in his business he's not gonna pay them back He can not he the money or he just doesn't want to so what does he do He has a construction team build a wall so the safe can go inside. When the creditors come to take the safe, you know what he tells them? Yeah, go ahead and take the safe back. But if you damage the wall, you're going to pay for the wall. So he puts them in a position where they're going to get sued, so they back away. He keeps the safe. In the meantime, he's buying different buildings, and he burns them, and he collects insurance. Everything that he's doing is about making money and continuing the lifestyle they he has, which is pretty extraordinary. You know, he wears fancy suits. He's always in these beautiful carriages. He is... He, you know, he reminds me a lot
1: of that guy from Austria. Butterweck, uh What was his last name again? Uh, Un- or something. Yes.
0: Very elaborate guy. Very well-spoken. So then, as these scams progress... He meets a guy named Benjamin Pitzel or Petzl, he's a carpenter, and he has a criminal record. But Holmes sees him as a partner in crime, at least for now, because he understands that this guy will do things for him that other people won't. Around the same time, he meets an actress named Minnie Williams. And he hires her as his stenographer at his business. And, you know, she does the records for him, but suddenly she transfers the deeds for her property in Fort Worth, Texas, to a man named Alexander Bond. And as we mentioned earlier, you know that Alexander Bond is one of Holmes' AKAs. So, soon after, both Minnie Williams, and Holmes begin to present themselves as husband and wife. They're in Chicago together, and then her sister comes to their home named Annie, and she's visiting for about three weeks, and she sends a letter to her aunt saying that she's going to be going on a trip to Europe with Annie and Dr. Holmes. By the way, they're never seen again. They just disappear off the face of the earth, and... Suddenly, Dr. Holmes appears in Fort Worth, Texas, where he claims the deeds to these homes and all these properties and begins to live a lavish lifestyle there again. So you tell me,
1: where did those ladies go? So now I'm understanding, finally, because I'm a little slow, what you're getting at. Serial killers kill because that's what they want to do something they feel compelled to do and they enjoy doing it. And his killings are all just incidental because he wants to lead a certain lifestyle, right?
0: Correct. It's all about money. He doesn't stop here. Killing for his lifestyle is nothing big to him. It's just what they, they got in the way. And he has to take care of his business. So while he's in Fort Worth, he begins... All these different projects to build homes and buildings, and he gets creditors to come in, and and he gets investors to come in. And of course, they're pouring money into the famous Dr. Holmes, who is made up, by the way, but but the way he lives, the parties he goes to, he really talks his way into people's wallets. Once they give him enough money, and of course, they see the, the buildings being built, they see everything happening, so of course, they're readily investing in him, he disappears again. This is what this guy's been doing. But things take a crack, really a bad turn, where he decides that Dr. Holmes is too well-known. So he has to kill him off. So he picks out an insurance in himself, And he tries to find a cadaver that matches him. And he sets up a fire where then, of course, Dr. Holmes is supposed to die. But the insurance companies are catching wind that this guy's a fraud. And they begin to investigate him. And he leaves town because they know he's not dead. He's faking his own life for the insurance policy. So what he does then, he convinces his... uh, partner in crime, this guy named Benjamin Penazole, that he should, in fact, take out insurance policy himself for $10,000. And that Dr. Holmes then will provide a cadaver. Here we are with cadavers again. This is his line of business. This is the tools of his trade. But Benjamin does not know who he's dealing with. So Holmes decides, Why share the $10,000 in this clown when I could just kill him and collect the insurance money? He puts himself as the benefactor, and he kills his partner. He tells his partner's wife, by the way, that this is all a ruse, that her husband's not dead, that he's gone to London, and that the... Robert which actually is her husband, is not him, It's somebody else. So he goes even further than this. He convinces his wife, Pe- uh, uh, Pettazell's wife, to place three of her kids in his custody. And then they go on this trip across the United States with the kids in tow. At one point, he kills the two children, two girls. He puts them in the trunk and he suffocates them with um, with a, a type of gas that he pumped into the trunk where he put a hole in it. And then he kills the little boy as well. And he does so because he's trying to eliminate all people that know who he's about. Um, the wife, also, same. envy for her as well. This guy, is, this is what he does. He, he's not a serial killer. He's a killer of opportunities. He's killing because he needs the money. He has no qualms about like killing children, like killing women, men. He has no type. It's whoever has money. And um, this really leads to that road where there are a number of insurance companies that understand what he's doing. A lot of people are investigating him. And th- this is the murder that he's actually arrested for. Um, he's tried for the murder of Benjamin. They don't charge him with the murder of his Benjamin's wife or his children, but they actually convict him of it and a jury comes back with a sentence of death. So as he's in prison or in jail awaiting his execution, here we go again. Here we go again. He gets a newspaper, the Hearst newspaper, to offer him $7,500 for his confession. He says this is a perfect opportunity to boast his story, to make himself into somebody he's not. And this is where the serial killer legends begin, really start. It's by his own mouth. He confesses to 27 murders, including the children of Benjamin Tedesel, his wife, all the different women he killed, and he describes how he did it, why he did it, all these different things, so the paper pays him. He gets the money he wants. Ultimately, they actually execute him. But it all goes wrong because... He makes this elaborate ruse that he wants to make sure before they execute him that they bury him ten feet under the ground, and his coffin must be in a, uh, in a concrete, uh, like, bomb shelter. So grave robbers, which is what he was, could steal his cadaver and do all kinds of unspeakable things with it. So he gets them to do this, and they hang him. But that goes wrong. Because instead of, like I explained before, the neck is actually broken when someone is executed by hanging, his neck didn't break. So he sat there swaying back and forth for about 11 minutes, choking to death. So his death was very uh, ugly, uh, suffered a lot, and a lot of people think he deserved it. But that's where these stories about him being this mass serial killer come from. It's from him making it all up. How do we know this? Because several months after he's executed, a lot of the people that he said he killed came forward and said, I'm perfectly alive. This is all a lie.
1: Wait, what? Yeah.
0: The people that he said he murdered because he confessed to 27 different murders when the newspaper paid him $7,500, which is a lot of money back in those days. Um, the people that he said he killed a lot of them came forward and said, "Hold on, I'm right here. I'm perfectly alive.
1: I was never killed by H.H. H. Holmes. Here I am." So this guy just never stops. <laughs> but <laughs> right. exactly. This he is never a stops. This is a unique guy though. I've never heard of something like this because there are plenty of businessmen who You know, their whole job is to screw people over. They're like these unabashed capitalists. They brag about taking advantage of people. They have no problem putting someone out of business, evicting them from their homes, putting them out on the street. William Randolph Hearst, you just referenced, similar to that. Donald Trump, you know, brags about this kind of thing. These guys, I think, would not kill a person Directly, they they would not be able to do that. Are there dudes like this? I know there are, like on like small time criminals, but I can't think of someone like really successful, ingrained in the business world that would just kill a bunch of children. It's so it's so bizarre. It is. Yeah, as I mentioned, he's narcissist. He's a social
0: parano. He's psychopathic in a way. But he's not a serial killer, but he did kill a number of people. And then there's another story here that we haven't touched upon is the murder hotel that he made There's so much written about this murder hotel. Yes, in fact, he did purchase a very large building structure, it was about a block long, right across the street from the pharmacy where he first he worked there and then he purchased it from the sixty seconds remaining who owned the business. And the murder hotel is an entirely different story. However, and there's a post office, by the way, where that building was. And when I come back, we'll get into that a little bit. But this guy is a fictional novel, a walking, talking fictional novel is what he is.
1: Besides being a murderer. So this apocryphal bluster that this guy has about his life, it works so well on people it's this time tried thing that just never fails and if you look at wikipedia you'll read an article about someone and it will have all these things like donald trump made all of his own money or mr t rescued a bunch of kids from a burning school bus and then you look at the at the footnotes and the citations and it's just something they said about themselves so it's just like this feedback thing that <laughs> through the media and through uh, word of mouth that it actually works. Like if people want to create a persona or reputation for themselves, it's it's actually pretty effective back then and and now.
0: Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. This guy was ahead of his time. He was doing social media before there was social media, um, and it's all based on his own accounts of what he wanted people to believe about him. And the whole the whole murder hotel thing has become something basically blown out of proportion. And if you take the diagrams and the architecture work from that building, yes, he actually did have a lot of elaborate rooms. There was a lot of passageways. There was, and they all supposedly led to the basement where there was a crematorium, and he had these slabs where he was cutting up people. Look, all that stuff is speculation. The only thing that's not speculation is the building did exist, that there were people that went into it and disappeared. Did he kill them? I believe he did kill a number of people there and he sold the cadavers to medical professionals and what he, that was the, the, the tools of his trade. And he put this building up because he understood that the World's Fair was coming to the city at that particular time or was ready to. So he got a lot of investors to invest in this building because the building itself was going to be a beautiful hotel that people that came to the fair would be able to stay there in luxury and he would supply all this for for them for a, a reasonable price. So investors gave him money. All the building contractors were brought in to do all these things. He never paid them. Miraculously or mysteriously, the building burns down. And who collects the insurance money? <laughs> Dr. Henry Holmes. Uh, the whole thing was a ruse, so he can make money. So okay, so why did he have these passageways? Look, that's gonna be one of the the, the, the fifty thousand dollar questions that really nobody knows about. If I were a swindler, if I was a scam artist, and I had a very big building and I was you know possibly killing people in the cellar, selling the bodies the insurance frauds, I knew there was a very good chance that they're going to come, come for me at some point. People have been looking for him for years. So it stands to reason that he had all these rooms that he could sneak into and go through because it was convenient for him. If the police came, he could run into a room and disappear into it. They wouldn't know where he's at. These are things that make sense they're logical. Why would he have a room with all these passageways, or well, was he going to sneak a person in a room, kill him, and push him down his path? Why would he do that? There's no logic behind it. If you own the hotel, you have all the keys to the hotel, and you want to kill somebody, you kill them in, a, in the dead of the night, and then you just know, pick them up and walk them to the cellar. Why go through all these elaborate mazes? That makes no sense. There are accounts, Matt, that, you know, in this book that. You know, he had this maze and he put people in there and he would run after them with an axe and he would chase them down and scare them to death. That's all fictional stuff that came from a book called The Monster of 63rd Streets. Uh, As I mentioned, The Torture Doctor. All these different books, The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson, these are books that say that they're nonfiction, but they're based on all speculation guy who wrote it but basically
1: made it up yeah so i'm someone who's just tangentially familiar with this case just bare bones of it and that totally worked on me i heard about this hotel which is a great setting you know a scary hotel everyone stayed in hotels and motels and they can be scary if you don't you know you don't know what goes on there and so that plays on some fears and I'm picturing him doing these ghoulish things and enjoying it and doing sexual things and whatever, but it's not that. He's just clinical and efficient, and he just wants to get the job done. Yeah,
0: that's basically it. You know, he, as I mentioned, he was a murderer. He killed a great many people. There are numbers of maybe two hundred people that he may have killed. But he was only convicted of killing one person. and That was his crime. His crime partner, Benjamin Pedazo. That's it. There was nobody else he was convicted of. All these other things. Yes, there's very good evidence he killed all these women that were with him that disappeared. You know, he claimed that they were uh, they died during abortions and all. Look, the truth of the matter is, he killed them. But we cannot put a number on it. And everything I've read, everything I've researched from his, his lifestyle to his, uh, his motives, they're all based on gain, financial gain or for convenience because someone knew too much or he needed that person out of the way because of credit. Whatever it was, there was always a logical need or logical reason as to why he killed not a serial killer, ladies and gentlemen. I know it looks good in books. I know it looks good in documentaries and these films they've made about him. They're great sellers. And as Matt mentioned, he didn't know a whole lot about the case. But it found it very feasible. I mean, think about it. A murder hotel disguised a no Yeah, they took a kernel of truth and they blossomed an entire story that's fictional out of this guy's character.
1: So what do you think after he kills his girlfriend's children and his girlfriend and his business partner who's probably his best friend in the world what what does he do after this? What is he feeling in those moments minutes, hours after he does this? Is he feeling anything? Is he he feeling some remorse? Or I know you weren't there but what's your gut instinct?
0: Well no, I was there, but I can tell you with a medical certainty that he felt zero. For him, these people were cadavers. They were objects. For them to become objects in his mind, they had to become lesser than him in his mind. Therefore, he could do what he did. He's also a sociopath and a narcissist a narcissist. He understood that these people were. Uh, objects that were worth a certain amount of money. And for him to continue to do what he was doing, he needed to survive. So he didn't feel bad. Does, does a tiger feel bad when he when he kills a deer to eat it? No. I believe that H.H. H. Holmes was that type of sociopath. But he wasn't a serial killer. He understood what he was doing and his motives were always based on something that he needed for financial reasons. So I don't think he felt anything. I mean, he didn't. He killed children before this as well. And he had no problem with it. If you have a problem with something, you normally don't do it again, especially something so extreme. Now you can say that a person who drinks has a problem and then he drinks again. That is not the same building. It's a whole different world basically. This guy is um, killing people, children. Hold on one second, please. This guy is killing children, people, because it's an end. It means to them. So that's the story of H. H. Holmes, and I know that I've probably burst a lot of people's bubbles. That probably want to go see his movie and stuff. Great movie. Fictional, but great movie. Nice story not entirely
1: true and this is just a certain breed of person these guys will just never stop you know bernie madoff for example some similarities to this guy he goes to federal prison and what does he do he buys up all the swiss miss hot chocolate mix in the prison and starts you know upcharging for it to to other prisoners and doing like a price fixing thing. And that's just who they are. They'll never stop. And uh, wow, you know, he only made it to 34 years old. He did a lot of crime and, and scheming in that 34 years. Jeez, I mean, imagine if he hadn't been caught, you know. I mean, his last thing was pretty reckless. You start killing people you know. that's uh, That's not a recipe for sustained success, is it?
0: You know, dead witnesses don't testify, right? So I think that when he met Benjamin and the people he knew, he already knew what he was gonna do with them. He already knew that they were pawns in his grand chess game. Um, yeah, you know, in those days, it was different. There, there wasn't social media, there wasn't photographs everywhere. If you go from one town to the next town or from one state to the next state, usually you leave your, your baggage behind. If mean, he did that when he left uh, Philadelphia, and when he left other places like Chicago, went to Fort Worth, you kind of leave that. You know, things don't travel so quickly. Back then, if you traveled to London, even by ship, it took you, I don't know, two or three weeks. Uh, you know, and people were more interested in just surviving, just making, putting food on the table. They weren't worried about gossip as you would think. So he used all of those tools, people's ignorance, at, to his advantage. Nowadays, if you do business with somebody, you can very easily look up his uh, his resume online. You can you can really find out who a person is. With this guy, he took advantage of all the ignorance of the times that there wasn't immediate. There wasn't you couldn't just pick up the phone and call up anybody in London or or wherever. Although I believe there was phones, but it just wasn't to the level of communication as there is today. There was no news. You couldn't turn the TV on and watch what's going on in New York. So he took advantage of these things, and as you mentioned, Madoff, same type of guy. He wasn't a murderer, but you could see how, how could a person like Madoff take a senior citizen's life savings, put them on the street, and take the money and not think about it? That's almost equivalent to taking someone's life because you've basically taken everything that person's worked their entire life and swindled it from them. So these are, they're the same type of animal, but of course, Holmes speaks to a different extreme, but you can see the similarities, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. But man, this guy, yeah, probably the most extreme example of, of this that we've seen. Well, wow, yeah. So yeah, this—I'm you know, was... sorry. I was just going to mention that we've
0: seen, we've seen things a little similar to this when women kill. And I've said that look, I've only know of one woman as a serial killer, and that was Lee Warren's. But there's a lot of different women that had hotels or homes, and they would bring elderly people in and they would murder them. There's a woman in Sacramento who killed 11 of her people just so she could collect the Social Security money. She buried the people in her backyard or her seller, this is a similar type of person, similar type of killer, he's doing for financial gain and for me, so we've seen this in modern times, H. Holmes is one of the first that we know of.
1: Yeah, we might have to do an episode on the bloody benders of Kansas, because now I'm wondering if you think they're serial killers or not. Uh... Anyway, we'll be back next time with another story. We appreciate you listening. I've been Matt Ralston.
0: And this is William Nogueira. Please be safe. Be aware of your surroundings. Your life could depend on it. Have a nice day.